This is Literary London on 104.4 FM. I'm Nick Hennigan. And would you believe... Would you believe I'm not in the studio? Can you hear that noise? Can you hear that noise running by? I am actually at uh, on the Fulham Road in Kensington and Chelsea. And I am outside a place that I've, I've driven past on occasions and on the bus. And I've always waited to look inside. And it's a shop called Peter Harrington. Uh, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to go in and, and and meet the man behind the shop, uh, Peter Harrington. So let's do that now. I love the old bell. Hey, talk about the old curiosity shop. Brilliant. And oh, good lord! <laughs> Hello, mate. Right, <laughs> Welcome. This is Pom uh, Pom Harrington. But yes. you're actually Peter, aren't you? Not I a... am. My my father was Peter, and I'm Peter, but I'm I'm known as Pom. Why is that? Just out uh, of interest. Name I had as a child, and uh, I um, it's stuck. Yeah. So I can't. Oh, it's it. lovely. I've, I've got a few nicknames, but I can't. I can't do those on it. And what a beautiful shop! I Thank mean, you. It's just fantastic. And the shop's been here for a while, isn't it? Yeah, we opened um, in 1997. We were originally in Chelsea Antique Market. My father started the business um, 1969 um, indoor antique market, and he sort of grew. Um, and then, yeah, 1979, we came over here. Um, start off with next door and then we took over this shop as well and we've been expanding ever since well let me show you around um, yeah, okay so do, do a little tour we'll start over here so we're going through into that this would be was this the second shop so we're the, sort of second shop front this is the original shop um which um so now we have um basically the shops divided up in sections so here we have the children's books um i mean these are all first editions and the way the shop works is every book is catalogued i mean every book in the shop is actually hand selected we wow. don't do we don't do hand clearances um, house clearance, anything like that. So, and you can open any book up in the shop, and you open it up, and <laughs> there will be, there should be. <laughs> oh, typical. Let's do this one. Yes, yeah. there we are. So every book should be catalogued and described and priced, and so it's it's very transparent, and we welcome you know anybody to come in. We have open bookshelves. You notice there's no glass cases. No, um, it's, it's so the idea is that people can get stuck in and just pull books off and have a look and browse. So um, yeah, we like to feel quite hands-on bookshop. And um, so down here we have books priced from about fifty pounds up to a few thousand pounds. Um, and so the section you're looking at right now is our children's, and it's all alphabetized, and from Lewis Carroll to Roald Dahl, um, Beatrice Potter, Doctor Zeus, um, or J.K. Rowling, um, who of course is the the latest, um, you know, still relatively new, but. Um, you said all first editions, or they're all. Happy. Yeah, I mean, the, actually, the, the, over, over here we have these are the first editions, and so something like the Prisoner of Azkaban, which is the third book, um, it's very collectible. They didn't print that many copies, relatively, and it's such a wow. popular thing. Uh, we can tell it's a first edition because the number sequence of modern books they go 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and the 1 signifies the first printing. Oh, that's a hint, I didn't know that. So, yeah. if you're looking at inside the, the birth certificate of a uh, inside front cover of a book, it's the yeah. numbering you should look for. It's the numbering, it's the that number sequence. So if it stopped at 2, it means the second printing, stopped at 3, third printing, etc. etc. Wow, that's so great. that's the first printing, and it's correct, and that's why it's 2,000 pounds. 2,000 pounds, if, yeah. if it had stopped at the 2. Um, well, I wouldn't have in the shop. It'd be worth about five quid. Yeah. <laughs> so there's <laughs> so a big difference. There's a big difference. I mean, the whole point about the collectability of books, it, what you're trying to get is to have the book as it came out when it was born. Mm. Now, with Harry Potter, it's a little bit easier. It's quite mm. recent. But if you had like a Lewis Carroll... I was going to say, have you got yeah. some of those here, have you? Or, I do. I mean, I got... This is thrown this on I've got you, some right? funny, funny ones here. I mean, this is... Um, well, The Phantom of Goria, which is a book. But I mean, actually, this is a good example of condition. The book is from 1869. Wow, yeah. 
was absolutely beautiful. Perfect, isn't and it? And yeah. this is how it looked when it came out in yeah. you know whatever 150 odd years ago. Would it have had a dust co- dust? No, cover not in those this days? point. Um, dust covers started from about not far off this point. It might have had a plain paper wrapper. The, the actual printed dust jacket didn't really start until the 1870s. Um, and actually, you've got an example here. This so is this, great. So this is, so this is Alice Underground. Wow, yes. Okay, and this is published in 1886. And this has got the dust jacket. I see, of course. They, However, yeah. that said, the jacket's actually from a later... I'm pretty sure it's later. It's not from 1886. They remained in the book, actually. Really? Yeah, so the jacket's probably a bit later. Did they? Explain what remainder means. Um, remainder means unsold and then boxed up, and then some years later they would, they would knock it out at a cheaper price. Right. So, um, it's funny to think of a Lewis Carroll not doing particularly well. Well, it may have just been boxes lost. Here we are. See, so look, we've got it here. Later, it's white and pairs, apparently consisting of remainder sheets put in covers later in 1931. So they obviously just found these boxes of sheets that were never bound up Right. 50 okay. years later, and they just put them back in the binding, issued in the jacket. But that's why it's got a jacket. Alice's Adventure Underground, Lewis Carroll. Well, that's the actual based on the original manuscript. That's that's the whole point. So basically, the original the original story of Alice in Wonderland was Alice's Adventures Underground, and the publishers changed it to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. But the twentieth anniversary, eighteen eighty six, they basically reproduced it, uh, the facts of the uh, manuscript. So that so actually is a, cop- a sort of a copy of the original manuscript. So it's yes. handwritten. Is that his, his yes. own hand? Yeah, yeah. Or that's, that's absolutely. That's his own hand. So this wow. actually is the man- yeah. It's basically a copy of the manuscript. And the little illustrations that yeah, were they he added. Did it. Did, he did yes. those. As yeah, well? yeah, that's it. That, and if you go to, I think the British Library have got the exhibition on right now. Yes. If you go to the British Library, they've actually got the manuscript on show. Huh. And this and is a copy of it. Yeah, and it is like it's done. Yeah, eighteen eighty six, and that was released twenty years after the first edition. How fantastic! And what would that yeah, be worth? Yeah, well, because it's got the jacket, it's seventeen hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah. If it had been a, because it's a remainder issue, if it's actually not the remainder issue, actually it's probably kind of zero to that. Really? With, really? with the jacket, wow. yeah. 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 It's quite a rare beast. I suppose, I mean, of course, you, 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 your business is a, a rare kind of books. Sure. H- have you found, how's the market been? I mean, we've been through a recession, a lot of people are having tough times, because we're in, we're in Kensington and Chelsea here, aren't mm. we, I suppose? So, I mean, but I mean, that's no guarantee of, no, of anything, I mean, is our, it? our clientele is actually quite international, and, and because of the internet and the website we have, um, you know, a third of our sales now probably originate from the website, which means they go all over the world. Wow, yeah. um, a lot of the le- our lesser priced books, um, our books really do start about 50 pounds, but say 150 pounds, 200 pounds, most of those go to the domestic market. But once you start getting into £1,000-plus, it, it's really is an international mm. market, and we sell over the world, which means that you're not so, um, you're not so much at the mercy of local issues. Yes. And, and we found you in the recession, actually. We did well. I mean, the collectors still wanted to collect books, mm. and we tend to find that wealthy collectors still have money. Mm. They might be a bit more selective, but we also found that being recession, some people had to sell books. So it actually brought some quite good books onto the market, and if you've got a good book, there's always a buyer. Really? So what are they, I mean, generally, I know it's, it's a strange question to ask, who, who are your clients then? What, what, what are they, are they kind of particularly rich people? Are they well, enthusiasts about literature? I mean, you, well, obviously, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, so not, yeah, except you'll be 40 in here, you know. So. I mean, no, is, there a, is there a sort of a type? Um, I mean, look, you've got traditional types. and I mean, I guess they tend to be quite relatively intellectual. You do tend to get people who studied. I mean, and you, yeah, you've got the hedge fund managers and private equity. And it, buying rare books isn't kind of a flash thing to do. It's actually quite a personal, quite a discreet method of spending money. I mean, you could spend 
tens of thousands of pounds on a book and it'll sit on the shelf and frank, frank frankly most people wouldn't have a clue mm. if you buy a painting for twenty thousand pounds whatever it is and you stick it at the wall you're making a statement a book is actually a very discreet thing to buy and most book collectors tend to be quite discreet quite thoughtful the books they buy are something that means something to them mm. and so, and yeah. so and that that so who are these people well yeah hedge fund managers um there are um doctors lawyers and you know, they need to have money, they need professional, at the high end anyway. Mm. Um, but I mean, within reason, anyone with a, you buy a collectible book for 50 pounds. I mean, we've got Roald Dahl books here. You know, if I pick out. And Roald Dahl was very topical. Well, Roald Dahl, but Roald Dahl was probably one of the biggest selling authors. Um, oh, really is he? I was going to ask you. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, here's a copy of SEO Trot. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? Which Beautiful is one of the last, in the 1990s, actually just as he died. Um, which was published, but you know we sell them for seventy-five pounds. Yes, um, it's, it's the first edition. Yeah, first, first edition. Yeah, absolutely. It's beautiful as well, actually. I isn't mean, it? very easy to sell. Just says first published. There's no sign of a reprint. Yes. There, so, and you know that's a collectible book. Yes. It's very yes. recent, but it's still collectible. Yeah, it's quite a bright colour as well, isn't it? A yeah, it's great. Well, it's Quentin, the Quentin Blake illustrations. Yeah, yes. So, don't have to be super rich to buy a first mm. edition. Um, and, and that's a good collectible, and I think a, a good thing down the line as well. Royal Dolls seems to be holding great stock. I mean, every movie that comes out, every theatre, the world loves Royal Dahl. And we've seen huge price increases over the last decade of, of his first editions. Yes, a friend of mine runs a theatre company who did rather well getting the rights to Royal Dahl. Um, <laughs> and toured up and down the country for about 10 years, I think, until, they, until Hollywood came a knocking. Yep. But that's fantastic. And so we're in the children's section. I like the way you. The, the presentation of the shelves it looks like a sort of an old an old library in the sense of the the the, the, the shelves that you've got hmm. but you've decorated them very nicely is that a, like a little christopher robin and yeah. pooh bear being uh, it's bookends isn't it so yeah that's another fun um yeah i mean we're, we're decorated up for christmas right now so we yeah, have uh, you know i mean rare books actually make great christmas presents i mean it's actually one of the busiest times of year um we tend to find that the collectors that buy for themselves tend to stop at this time of year because they're not allowed to buy presents for themselves, so they tend to stop. But they, they but then we find that obviously, again, at the lower end, we, we sell, frankly, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books in the next few weeks because rare books make great gifts. Yes, of course. And I guess oh, well, you, you've, you've, sort of, you've touched on it quite a lot. Uh, there is that personal thing if there's a book that means something to you and you've got the first edition. There is. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a silly thing to say because that's what you do, isn't it? Well, it is what I do, but actually, on a personal level, I actually collect Roldar. Oh, do you? I, I went to that, but I happened to collect it. I mean, actually, I, I can show you. I mean, there's a. I mean, I say I collect it. It's one of my little pet projects, and I'm, you know, one day I'll sell it because I'm a bookseller ultimately. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I, I, I do believe in it. Um, you know, I've been buying the Roald Dahl for 20 years, um, and I've watched it popularity gain and everything else. So, um, yeah, it does. It, it, yeah. yeah, it's lovely, and I like the way, yeah, it's beautiful, it's, it's, it's lovely to come and have a look here. So, t I mean, so your father started the business, was he always into books, was he a bookish uh, man? Actually, I think it was his father, really, I mean, his dad was always interested in a, just in a sort of out in the countryside, buying just a nice leather-bound book, and my dad used to drive him around, and uh, he started buying books when he was driving around with his dad, and then he came back to Chelsea Deep Market, which is, used to be at 253 Kings Road, which is, as we sit now, parallel to the to the Fulham Road where the shop used to be and he just had a literal Indian market store. Anyway, he did that for a year and he worked out he made much more money selling books on a market store, indoor market store than he did his previous jobs. So that's how originally Peter Harrington was formed. In 1971, so two years later, his brother joined him. And it was Harrington Brothers for six, no, 26 years. Yeah, 26 years. 
And so they grew and grew in the antique market. Event, there's 150 storeholders back then. Wow. And my father and my uncle actually eventually took over the whole place and bought the whole place and ran the whole place. And then eventually someone offered them a decent amount of money to uh, go away. So <laughs> that's the point. And by this stage, I'd already started working for my dad. I started working, I pretty much came out of school. Um, didn't go to university particularly. So, and I sort of fell straight to the family business. Was, was that always going to happen, do you think? As, no, as a no, no. If you asked me as a teenager, <laughs> the last thing I was going to do was work for dad. But um, I wasn't that interested in school. And I guess after a few months, I became interested in the business aspect of it, especially. I'm not a reader. Um, I am uh, dyslexic technically, so I, I do struggle to read. So therefore, that's, that wasn't really my background interesting. But I am, I, I developed quite quickly an interest in the objects. Hmm. Um, and what I learned at the beginning was kind of the rare books as objects and like the leather bindings. Why was that leather binding better than that leather binding? What date was leather binding? That's rather beautiful with all the gilt on it, less so. Why, why is the value of that? And I actually got into it more from a point of view, aesthetics point of view. And then you get into the bibliography of it, mm. the different printings. Why is that printing better than that printing? Why is that one rare? Why do people care about that title? And what you end up with is getting a value is if you have the great title with the great rarity and the great condition, you end up with super price. Mm. You could have great condition, great printing, terrible title, and frankly, no one cares. Wow, very kind of so complicated that, and thing. That's, and that's it? kind of my angle that I came in from, my interest of it, was kind of the bibliography of books and, and, you know, why were these books printed? The actual content is something I've not really studied, and that's, mm. that's probably not my background, um, to be fair. But, um, well, I but, suppose as a rare book seller, it's, it's not necessarily that crucial to, to know the, all and, of the and Actually, side. it's not. I mean, and, and I can be quite ignorant about some of the content, but I do understand what it represents. Mm. And actually, it's much more important. You know, if you ask people what Pride and Prejudice means to them, and they can talk about how they read it and the greatest novel, as a book dealer, I do look at it upon a it's just this amazing book that everyone seems to want to have. <laughs> it's the most popular novel. Um, and it's were collectible within its own lifetime. I mean, there were people trading first editions of Pride and Prejudice within years of it coming out. Oh, really? Well, yeah, yeah, it was collectible almost instantly. Wow, that's interesting. Um, Why was that? Is it just, just the story or the situation yeah, at the time? Wanted it. It was, it was, yeah, it was as simple it was, as that. Yeah. yeah, it went to, I mean, for a lady author, it went into three pre editions quite quickly, mm. um, which is very, very unusual. So it was recognised in its own lifetime, effectively, and uh, not her lifetime, but certainly in, in the relative book lifetime. And uh, so I get that. I understand that. And, and so, yeah, Pride and Prejudice. We sell it all the time. It's great. I understand that. And I understand all the differences between the printings and why that copy. Why is that copy great? And that one not so great in the pricing variances of it. And that goes down to the to those three things that yeah, you talked about. The other two things rather than the name. Yeah, it must have been odd. I, you must have been surrounded by books when you were a child. Then, I, if was, your actually, was I, I was, but I wasn't necessarily that interested in it particularly. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things when it's all around you all the time. Yeah. You sort of blase about it and you take it for granted. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously it's part of my my fabric of my soul. But um, and I, I do like books. I mean, as an object, like I said, and I do occasionally read them now again. But yeah. <laughs> but if you've got a slight dyslexia, that might make it difficult, isn't it? Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not going to read Ulysses, put that way. Okay, we won't, we won't do a quote now. <laughs> what, what, are, you, are you a London boy? Were you? Are you yeah, did you go to school much. locally? I'm actually down in Surrey. I was um, I was basically raised up in yeah down near Epsom. Um, I was there. My 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 childhood was all down there, and uh, um, the family moved backed up to Kingston but I've always been southwest London I mean basically Putney Clapham and that's where I'm now where's your favorite bit you got a favorite bit of London 
I'm definitely southwest London. I mean, if I go north of the Cromwell Road, I get lost. And I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't like it. But um, yeah, I, I stick to this wonderful channel that is probably if you follow the Fulham Road, Brompton Road up to about Piccadilly, and we've got a shop in Dover Street there, and you just channel down south. That's my corridor. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a beautiful area, isn't it? Even walking here today from from the tube at South Kent, you know, you kind of, I, I don't know, what, it always makes me smile, especially this time of the year. There's something sort of quaintly Dickensian in the nicest possible way. Abs- <laughs> absolutely, and actually, I mean, there's a place to work. I mean, the shop is fabulous. I mean, the it's such a pleasant area to be in, yeah. um, and uh, we're surrounded by um, restaurants and places to go to, and it, it's it's great. And we're very yeah. lucky to be to be here. Yeah. Um, good yeah. for your dad. In fact, if your granddad then, so your your granddad. Well, granddad was a sort of collector. I mean, not not sort of the dull boy of the books. He, 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 no, he just dabbled. He just sort of liked it. But my father was the one that developed the business and built it up to be you know, to be very successful. And um, we were we were very lucky growing up. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, he, my father did great, and, yeah. uh, and now I do my thing, which is quite different. Great as well, yeah, yeah I, I do fine. But uh, but um, and yeah, we've got exciting things. I mean, one, one of the things that I think. I'm very lucky at is my age because I'm relatively young for a book dealer. I mean, up until I'm now 40. I mean, up until the age of about 33, 34, I was forever the youngest bookseller. Yeah, yeah. From the age of 20, 34, there was no one younger coming in. It's quite a slightly old man trade. Um, probably gave me a slight advantage is that I I could probably handle the technology side of things, which is the greatest influence on on, on our business is the internet. Yeah, how interesting! Something that's. Well, I mean, we, we must. We'll talk about the e-publishing and that kind of rise. Mm. I think which we spoke to a lot, lot of uh, people about uh, on this uh, on this particular show. But it, uh, and you walk down Charing Cross Road now, which used to be the traditional home of all the booksellers, and there are still a couple of three there. Yeah, but there's, there's still quite a few there actually. Yeah. I mean, relatively. I mean, not as many as there were, but you know, there's still there's still that hub there. I, I, I'm not mistaken. There certainly always used to be a discounted rent to bookshops there. It's one of the reasons oh, why they survive. Right, okay. oh, whether, whether it's still the case, I'm not too sure, but it certainly always used to be the case. Hence, they all congregated around there. So, um, but no, I think that's still successful. I mean, the number of bookshops, the rare bookshops, you know, they have been reducing, probably more in the smaller towns rather than the main towns. Um, I think if you're starting a new book business now, you're not going to start with a shop. No. I mean, you're just not. I mean, you, you don't need to. You can have a website. And you can operate from home with a few shelves of books and people use ebay and they start doing ebay shopping that's how dealers start these days um so yeah i mean i guess the number of shops will decline but what's left should be much better yes yes i think yes, I, th- I think, I think, I, and I think that's probably what's happening ultimately with across the board where it's um from publishing but i mean i do get asked quite regularly by the kindle and the impact and is it the end of the book and I, mean, I could be wrong on this, but my, my, my personal opinion is the Kindle is the death of the paperback. Mm. The paperback was invented as a cheap reading implement to be used and frankly discarded. Every year the world pulps billions of copies of the paperbacks because we got to, can't cope with it. And the Kindle actually is replacing that. It's not replacing the hardback. But the hardback's under competition. And I think what we're going to see, personally, is a, an improved product. I think you'll see that the, the print quality will go up the quality the printing of the book will get much better the print runs will reduce and the prices will go up because i think there's always a there's a strong demand people will be happy to pay for a premium product and we're seeing that certainly with photo books you know tashin are doing these amazing sort of left several hundred pounds or some cases thousands of pounds for these new books well these are the collectibles of the future yeah. so from my point of view you know 20 30 years down the line it's great we've got some new books that we're coming through and and will circulate 
Yes, of course, it's interesting, isn't it? I never really thought in those terms. The paperback was a... Was it Penguin that brought out some of the first paperbacks? Actually, it goes right back in the 19th century. The yellows, the, the yellows, they were done for um, railways. The perils, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. they, I think they were called yellowbacks, but yeah. the pen name Mark's famous printed in yellowback in you know, the late 19th century, and they're literally to be read on the railways. Huh. And they just got discarded. Yes, of course. So How interesting, yeah. So I do think... I think the Kindle has its place. There's, there's yes. no question about that. And I personally quite like it. I mean, my kids read Kindles. And actually, they love it, and great. I suppose it's put a new democracy to the notion of publishing, perhaps more so than than the idea of of, of, of your job in terms of. Yeah, I mean, but actually, I think it rarefies the book. Mm. One of the problems we have is modern books, the last twenty, thirty years, they're too common. They print tons of them, which means they can never be collectible. So, from a, our point of view, one of the exceptions is the Harry Potter, because the first book was only five hundred copies. Actually, I'll show you one in a minute. I've got one upstairs. Yeah, cool. we'll do that, yeah. So we can go and have a look yeah. at one. But the, um, so yeah, print numbers need to come down. The collectible, I mean, you know, you get someone who's very successful like Patricia Cornwall. I mean, her first book has moderate collectability, but it's still printed 10, 20,000 copies of it. So there's a limit to how valuable it can be. And she's so popular that they just print millions of copies of every book she does. So from a collector's point of view, it can never really be valuable. Mm. How interesting, yeah. And so there is a, there is something to be said then for your first novel being a, sm a, a short run, given that it's a success, of course. Absolutely. And if you're unknown, that's what will happen. And that's same what happened with J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, let's let's walk around. So we're in sure. the children's section. It's beautiful here. And uh, it's... Uh, so let's move over here. Yeah, we have sort of general other miscellaneous things there. Gardening, yachting, um, yeah, music, rock and roll. Um, gosh, I mean, yes, everything. And jazz some reason we have a lot of jazz books. Children's Illustrated, which is slightly oh, different yeah. from literature. So Arthur Rackham, Kay Nielsen, are the sort of more famous um, illustrators. Um, I mean, these are a, lot, a lot of these are special copies. So they're, I'll pick out this one, for example, Arthur Rackham, which is probably the most commercially the most successful of the early 20th century children's illustrators uh, with a huge following. But they did, this is a good example, actually, of what I think possibly where books are going back to. Yes. So Rackham would they produce this book and there'd be a regular edition. What size would you say this is? It's, it's well, this is this is called a quarto. A quarto, yeah. Yeah, so it's about 12 inches by 9. And it's called Poe, what's it called? Poe's Tales? Well, it's Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Poe. It's Tales. a Tales of Mystery Imagination, but it's illustrated by Rackham, Arthur Rackham. Yes. But this is one of the limited ones, so this one's limited to 460 copies, of which 450 for sale, and this signed. And, you know, they printed wow. it on nice paper, Yes. Nice and print. What do you call that sort of ragged edge? There's a name well, for it. Well, it's just untrimmed, yeah. It's untrimmed, yes. They didn't trim it. So you do your top edge, top edge trimmed. Yes. And then the rest of them left rough. It's just yeah. kind of style. Beautiful, um, isn't it? Yeah, and it's great. And that, 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 listen, that was done as a collectible at the time. It would have been a premium price. Mm. Now it's very valuable. Now, now, it's, now? Well, now we sell them for £2,000. Wow. Um, I'm not too sure what it was issued at, but I mean, it, it wasn't £2,000. It would have no. been probably equivalent to £100 or something in, mm. in money, that, money times. So, and I think that's where we're going to head back to. And these are, these, these, I mean, so they're all illustrated here. The, the, the Heath Robinson, Hans Anderson's fairy tales, Christian Hans, and then there's the Irish fairy tales here. Again, Rackham, yep. Daniel Defoe, Robert, they're beautifully kind of prepared. Were these, were these sort of books uh, made for, as you say, uh, to be collectible items? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're just the luxury, they're the luxury children's books. Mm. And that's what it's done, it's a luxury market. And, I, and I, like I said, I think the publishing world, I suspect, is going to go back that way to make a niche for itself. Yes, of course. Yeah, it's glorious. I mean, I, there are people who will be very jealous of me uh, being in this bookshop, surrounded by all these beautiful books. Uh, and, of course, such collectibles as well. Winston Churchill? Yeah, well, he's probably singly one of the most popular authors we sell. 
Um, oh, really? He was quite prolific. Yes, I, I came across a, an old book. I'll have to check now. I didn't know there was a first edition in Wales over the summer when I was away writing, and it was Winston Churchill talking about the Second World War. I think it was part one or something like yeah, that. I mean, here we go. You've got them yeah. here. Well, the Second World War was actually where Winston Churchill became a very rich man. Um, he, uh, <laughs> up until, actually, his early, early life, he struggled financially. Although, oh, really? I didn't know. Yeah, I thought we, he, was, yeah. he was very good at spending money. Ah, yeah. <laughs> um, and in the 1930s, he published Marlborough. And it was literally a publishing deal to get him money. He was desperate for money. And was, I think Chartwell came on and off for sale over the years. Um, but, and, and he even, I, I didn't have one to hear, but um, even during the war, he published his war speeches oh, really? to yeah. get money in, to, wow. to, to run Chartwell. It would have been very expensive to run. Um, and he was, post-war, he, he didn't have an awful lot of money. However, he did write the Second World War, or rather he edited it. It was actually written by a team of people. Oh, was it? And he's I a master see. editor. Yeah. Um, and he had this um, um, his literary agent was a guy called Emery Reeves who had used actually for propaganda throughout the Second World War in America uh, very interesting guy anyway Reeves got Churchill a 1.4 million dollar advance the American edition alone of the Second World War wow. <laughs> and that's the point that Chartwell came off the market and Churchill became a very rich man how interesting, because I spent a lot of time looking and working with, well, working and writing about struggling writers. Yeah. I never would have put Churchill up there in no, that. No, he did struggle. Yeah. But like I said, because of his spending habits more than anything yeah. else. It's kind of relative. But and taxes like, also yeah. super high. Of course, yes. I mean, you know, during the war, they had sort of 60, 78% taxes, whatever it was. So, you know, yes, he might have made money, but it, and Chartwell was expensive. So, right. So, anyway, yeah, it's Second World War. And yeah. this is actually a recent binding. They're issued in dust jackets. Um, they're not actually that particularly expensive relatively. I mean, they printed like a quarter million copies in the first edition and every household with any sort of money had a copy of the book. I mean, it just... It's uh, one of those things. It's one of those things that everyone did. And, um, like Century. Do you remember the Century books? Those big kind of yeah. photo things at the end of the 1990s. Every television programme in the world seemed to have one of those in a bookshelf. Yes, I don't think vaguely remember those. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're too young. <laughs> I remember it well. And you've got some Ian, uh, Ian Fleming here. Well, actually, well, this actually is... Uh, James the, Bond. Uh, we don't normally do facsimiles, but this actually is a really good set. It was done in, the, in 1981, 93, and they did a true facsimile of the first editions oh i see because um, oh, they've become really quite valuable already okay. and um and they're very attractive but there were limited editions 14 of them but that's all the james bond ian fleming wow. novels wow um yes. but they're in, yeah they're very okay. nice um come downstairs yep let's move downstairs I'm Nick Hennigan. This is Literary London on Residence 104.4 FM. I'll mind you here. Thank you. And of course, we've got uh, the podcast at LondonLiteraryPubCrawl.com. Uh, if you want to get in touch, you can. Uh, use your email address, radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk. Although, as you probably gathered, I'm not in the studio this week. Okay. All right. Uh, and uh, I'm uh, Peter Harrington, the bookshop at uh, 100 Fulham Road in... Uh, is it Fulham? Are we Fulham? I we're Fulham Road, Chelsea. It's Chelsea. We're, 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 Chelsea. we're in Chelsea, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, and I'm with Pom, or Peter, or Pom is his name. Pom, yeah. uh, Pom uh, who is the owner of the bookshop. And we're looking at some fabulous stuff. And we're, we're sort of just halfway down the stairs. What, what, what's yeah. what's here? Oh, yeah, that's right. We're so, a bit tall. So <laughs> oh. this display cabinet is actually, these are all books bound by, we have a book bindery um, oh. called the Chelsea Bindery. We started it in 2000. Um, the work has all came from a traditional, Zorsky, Sutcliffe and Zainstall, which is an old English binder that's been around for 100 years. Um, so we have four people who work for us down there, and so these are doing traditional craft basically. These are these are modern um, bindings, leather bindings. Here you have some things with inlay on the on, leather onlays, um, some other designs here which we've done, 
more traditional leather bindings. But these are recently done by us. That's so the, is the idea that you would find books and then bind them yourself, or are they all books that need rebinding? They're all books need rebinding. So, I mean, uh, if I point over here, it's not like Child and Chocolate Factory, the Roald oh, yeah. Dahl. So, you know, we prefer to have it, or we can have it, an original dust jacket, and it's great. That's exactly how one would like it. However, actually, this is quite fun. So we'd find them, they don't have the dust jacket. The value, therefore, is much cheaper. The jacket's quite important to the value, but it's still a first printing. Internally, there's nothing wrong with the book whatsoever, and those are the candidates we look to rebind. To add some craft to it, we do this design. This is the design that we did, and so we sort of done this Chun Chocolate Factory label there. But this is all this is all done in leather and gold. Oh wow! So there's a kind of a chocolate bar peeking yeah. out the corner of the top of the with top the golden, right of with the, the golden the, ticket. The golden ticket, of course, top right of the book. Yeah, and a lovely actually. little Paddington bear as well. Yeah. This is actually interesting because nearly all your books are open. These, they're sort of not in cabinets, which I find yeah, scary. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is just <laughs> actually the reason we have uh, these ones behind glasses because just because of where it is. Yeah. But, um, oh, I see. You see, we signed at the yes, Chelsea Bindery. The Chelsea Bindery. So opening the inside cover. Yeah. There's, and there's then if you look inside, so it is the original first edition. In this case, we can tell the first edition. We go to the back, and the printing is actually very simple. There's six lines of information in the last leaf. And the second printing, they took out one line, and I think it was wow. the paper manufacturer they changed it, so it became five lines. Wow. So you've got to have six lines, makes the first edition. Yes. And, and there's an the original book. roll. Original so roll. So it's the first edition printing the book. <coughs> and how, how, did you do you remember it coming in? Was it so it was in a sort of a fairly sad con The cover was in a sad condition. Yeah, no, I mean, the cover was in sad, but if you look inside, there's nothing wrong with yeah, it. It's perfect. Thing, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. a great candidate. And this is a kind of a, a, a binding collectible for the future, really. Yes, uh, yes, of course, they'll be a... And they do work out, they're very popular, actually. And you've got, uh, what do you got there? You've got uh, Michael Bond, of course, a bear called Paddington, The Secret Garden, which I know people will like, Harry Potter, and The Order of the Phoenix. Isn't that, isn't that quite a new one for you to, to, to bind? Yeah, but... but well, see, it looks nice. Yeah, yeah it looks it great. Works. And you've got a bit of Syl Sylvia Plath up there as well. Yeah. Ariel. Fantastic. So, uh, now, these, this is a side of the business which... Um, which we do, and actually we sell the books quite well at Dover Street in the Mayfair branch. But you know, Aspreys have been doing this for years. I mean, I mean, doing lovely leather-bound copies of first editions. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. They look beautiful. Yeah, and they sit on the shelves. They look great. But, cool. Yeah, come great. downstairs. I'll okay. Show you Let's work our way down. You've got quite a few pictures and uh, photographs I notice on the wall. So come up alongside after you. Is that uh, Alvin Lake? Jay yeah. and Barry. A picture we, of Jay um, and Barry. It's kind of one of those things that we you've got to have something to put on the walls. Yes. You can't put books on the walls. So we do pictures, and most of the pictures down this bit tend to be book-related. So, for example, these, these are quite fun, actually. Um, there's Amion and Shepherds, but they come from the Punch offices. Oh, really? Because basically that's where they met, was at Punch <laughs> in the 1920s. Gosh. And what used to happen is that Milne used to write poem, and Shepherd used illustrations for it, and they originally published in Punch. Well, and Punch had a before they closed the offices down. They used to have photographs of all the contributors down the corridors, and uh, these were sold off back in the day. And now you've got them. And signed Milne. Signed Milne. Wow. And how much would they be? They'd be three thousand pounds the pair. For the pair. Wow. Someone's going to love those. Yeah, no, they're great. So down here we have more traditional room. Um, so this is sort of we're, we're just below the ground floor now, aren't we? Yeah, it's down the basement. And this is basically leather leather sets. These are leather bound sets, and, and these really are collected works. So, and we only do complete sets. So, um, for example, that is the complete works of Mark Twain. Wow. Um, and these are meant to be luxurious library sets when they're published. Um, so, this was published in America. I'll open it up. Um, there we go. 
title page. Yeah, I love the sound of paper. <laughs> so it's published in 1929, so it's just after his death. It's called a memorial edition, because by this stage he's a hero of what he is. Now the good news is, well the good news is, he, because, he's, because he's passed away, um, <laughs> he can't write any more. Yes, so then they publish yes. all these collected works. It's like the greatest hits. Here we go. This is all yes. of Mark Twain's works. 37 volumes, wow. including his autobiography and, and, and his biography and stuff. And because he's unfortunately passed away, they, they put a souvenir in there and they, they put a leaf of manuscript. Oh, wow. So that's a piece of, that's a leaf of uh, Mark Twain manuscript. <laughs> and then they put it in this most amazing sort of luxurious binding. Yes. So this is bound by Bainton, actually in London. Uh, yes. Sorry, Bath, I should say. Uh, full Morocco. It's remarkable, is it? What is it? So it's a leather leather binding, is yeah. it? and the, the ridges <coughs> on the on the on the back as well. Yeah, these are called raised bands. Raised so these are very traditional things. You see them yeah. all around the shop. All leather books tend to have mm. raised bands, and then these are all hand gilt finished. The wow. titles all hand gilt, and and the Chelsea bindery is just doing this. But now this would yes. have been done back in nineteen thirties. Yes. Um, and very expensive. <laughs> yeah, what we, yeah what no, but I mean, basically, if you want, if you go down to Mr. Bainton's now, and they still exist down in Bath, the binders. Yes. I mean, you, he would be charging you, I'll guess, more than a thousand pounds a volume. Wow. Yes. To get that done. Yes. Um, the price of the set is twenty-five thousand pounds, yeah. so it's almost like a second-hand price. Yeah. Which wow. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, um, uh, yeah, but, um, fantastic. Fantastic. manuscript, but yeah. So Charles Kinsley, um, Goldsworthy. So these are all collected editions. Um, a lot of them are signed. Really? Oh, yes. So they're all. Where, where do you where do you come across these? I mean, that's a, perhaps a silly question. Where do you where do you well, find your stock? I travel all over the place. I mean, I, I literally do travel the world. I just just got back from a around the world in twelve days. Um, we did the Boston Book Fair two weekends ago, and I did Hong Kong Book Fair the week after. So um, it's a tough life, but someone's got to do it. A lot, a lot of plane riding. I, <laughs> I bet it is actually. I know. I, I had a short time in my career. Where I was staying a lot of time in hotels, which sounds very glamorous until you have to do it. Yeah. No, I've done a lot of traveling this year, but the. The uh, we go all over the place. I mean, a, we travel to book fairs. I mean, it's a natural place where dealers buy from each other. Um, actually, a lot of books come to us. I mean, obviously, we've sold lots of books over the years. People come back with books. Um, we're offered lots of books for our website as it happens. Um, this, we follow the auctions. Um, we know where the collectors are. We know we might go. We know people. People move on. People pass away. The collections come up for sale. I mean. Um, things circulate yeah i mean if someone someone said you know with these books actually you never get to own them you're just really borrowing them <laughs> and your job right. is to, your job is to look after them because these yes. books are going to outlive us yeah of course yeah, you're, just, you're just temporary keepers um, and actually it's true i mean yeah. you know we're just temporary keepers until the next person takes over and if you look at some of the really old books you know they've probably had 40 50 owners over the years some of those things yeah it's kind of almost makes you feel better about them actually <laughs> it's no, almost, you know it's and, and sort of, well, it's not such a selfish thing you're not going to drink that vintage wine no <laughs> but uh, well i'll show you upstairs we've got some more more valuable books and i'll, I'll show you but yeah it's um there's a couple of really uh, old tomes on here are they, these, these uh, are these massive are, things these are probably a problem charles really yeah. these are these are incomplete <laughs> so we've probably work out what to do with them I'm not sure what wow. they, they came what, in what are they? It's, just, it's called eden's body of gardening Yes. And it's a natural history book. It's got 60 plates, uh, copper engravings, 18th century. And it, it just basically is a, is a reference book, really. It's huge as well. What, yeah. what size is this? Well, it's called a folio. Okay, folio. Um, so basically that is one sheet of paper folded once. Oh, I see. Okay. Then you get quarto, you fold it again, yes. make four sheets. And then you make octavo, which is what most books are. You fold it again and make eight sheets. But it's all from one sheet of paper. And that's yeah. literally how the sizes work. Yeah. If, oh, that's if I can no visualise that. Brilliant. 
Um, and there's the collections in this smallish room that we're in now in the basement, and they're, they're just beautiful. The different leather-bound covers. What have you got? Yes, just just what we got. Well, here. I mean, there's a mixture of things. Here. There's a mixture of things here. Um, you know, some of these are, are contemporary bindings. Contem when we say when we say contemporary bindings on the book, actually, it means it's contemporary to the book's publication. It doesn't mean it's done today. Right. So it's I kind see. of it's con which yes. uh, conflicts the mind sometimes. So this this Robert Stevenson would have been done at the time of publication, which is 1901, and it's. I think they're very attractive, and they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're beautiful library sets. And this is what this what this room is about. This is someone can come down here and imagine their library. Yeah, um, yeah, and it that, feels that, like that. Yeah, it? Um, and there's, there's actually more value. These actually work out uh, a less expensive way than buying true first editions, which right. can be very expensive. Mm. So, and would you, you presumably you'd have to buy the collection? You would. Yeah, no, these are, could, and, then, yeah. and they're, they're worth more money as a complete set. Yes. The moment you're missing one, the collectability drops down. Yes. and then you're purely at aesthetic value only. And there's a smaller, there's some smaller books here. What are these? These are the. Uh, That's the Bell Shakespeare. They're rather oh, nice, I was actually. Ask you about the Shakespeare. Yeah, well, it's an 18th century edition. Yes. Yeah, you know, 20 volumes. Um, there we are. It's actually it's very pretty. Yeah, I mean, Sha it? Shakespeare, in the 18th century, went the, the country went mad for it. Yes. I mean, it was, it was done in. I mean, in the 17th century, when Shakespeare was published, there's really the four folios. You know, the first folio, 1623. Second folio, 1632. 1666 the, uh, the third folio and the 1685 is the final folio and that's it and then the 18th century hits there's probably about 50 60 70 different editions done over the course of the 18th century and the 19th century yeah. the victorians were completely potty yes. and there are hundreds of different versions of shakespeare yes um, and this is just a very beautiful um little 18th century and edition that's what size is that again that's uh, okay, this that's is probably a duodecimo 12 basically 12 yeah. so it's yeah. kind of Folded again. Yeah, so it's smaller than a paperback, a traditional uh, yeah. paperback kind of thing. Yeah, and designed just for nice, a little, little, little bit of you know, Georgian furniture, you know, mm. those little shelves, that's what yes. it's meant for. Fantastic. Yeah. That's great. That's brilliant. Okay, what, what can you show us next? Well, let's go upstairs. Yep, okay. My wooden floors and a stone staircase. That's all you'd expect in a bookshop. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll go past some of the uh, signed pictures. Hello. <laughs> Here we are, we're back on the ground floor again, and we're going to go up the next flight of stairs, up to the first floor. I quite like the fact when, when we, we were first chatting, you were going, oh, look, I'm sorry, it's a working bookshop, but because there are kind of little piles of things happening all over the place, but that's, I guess that's sort of how it should be, really, shouldn't it, if, you, yeah. <laughs> if you're running a book business? That should be a part of how it all works out. Well, so the ground, the ground floor where we were beforehand was... Um, that is kind of the shop and it's open public but upstairs now where we are this is kind of our offices so it's very much a bit rough and ready um so not too rough and ready though i mean lots of shelves as you'd expect bookshelves and lots of books on them so so, so what, are, what are these here that we've got in the office bit well this actually is kind of where we keep um our more expensive books so um the books we have over here uh i'll pluck a book here we are this rather obscure looking box wow this is kind of a blue just uh, a blue clamshell blue box. Box, yeah. yeah. Open it up. Oh, it's a terrible box, really. <laughs> there we are. It's got two clips on the side. Ah, uh, Ulysses. James and that's Joyce. a first edition Ulysses. Really? A first yeah. Wrap. In the original wrappers. Crikey. Um, and it's beautiful. Yeah. I'm just going to put this Let over. Let me move. There's a cup of coffee here. Oh, yeah. Move my coffee out of the way. I might have a little slab. It's a very so, sociable bookshop as well. <laughs> so, yeah, and this is the original blue wrappers. Um, the, the colour of the um, the wrappers were meant to be the Ionian Sea, that Greek flag. Oh, right, okay. And yes, actually yes. what happens is it, it tends to get a bit muddy mm -hmm. I mean, with handling over the years. And it's very hard to get that vibrant blue. 
and this is a really beautiful example of mm. what you when I went, at the beginning I said to you the whole point of collecting books you want the book to look like how it came out when it was born yes, yes. and this is a good example this is actually what it would have looked like wow. back in 1922 and it's a very heavy book and the way that it's held together literally it's got one stitch two stitch three stitch four stitches and the stitches go through holding the wrap around right. and that's it and it's so heavy it falls apart if you read uh, this book it falls apart yes wow and so survival in original condition is really hard yeah and what, what would that be worth now so that's priced at fifty-seven thousand five hundred pounds wow <laughs> i'll take two no I won't, I won't. and it's it's one of a thousand <laughs> copies that are printed yes um 750 were like this they had 150 that were actually printed in larger paper another hundred were printed on thick paper but joyce signed oh i see so presumably they would have known or the publishers oh. would have known exactly what they were doing with you know, well um, well actually here the problem being published because it was the 70s inside it so um it was published by um uh, sylvia beach at the shakespeare head company in paris paris basically the french don't care so they just yes. published it yeah. <laughs> so there's no there's no, there no problems there shakespeare and company which still exists today rude lillian i mean that's still there mm. and um she had subscribers. Um, the book was banned in America and in, and in London. Yes, I remember it having a few and, um, <laughs> troubles. So she published it. She kept a record. The book was collectible in trading hands within a year for more money than she issued it out. Wow. It was collectible in its own lifetime. Was that because... It, part yeah. of the reason why it survives in good condition because people looked after it. They knew it was, it was something special right from yeah. the start. So, yeah. And why was that, do you think? Was it just because it was... It was because James Joyce's it, style it, was rising? It was just recognised at the time as being a masterpiece. It was mm. just kind of like this... Look, I haven't read it, but it was recognised within its within its moment. Yeah, this was something really great. Not that many people have read it that have. <laughs> no, no, people have read it. No, it's one of the and things. Claim to read it. Exactly. <laughs> I was about to say, lots of people. Oh yes, of course, I've read it all. Bloomsday and stuff. That's beautiful, isn't it? And where where did you come across that, or did it did it find you? Well, it found it found me actually. I mean, it, I actually remember this copy. It came up at auction in um, down in Wiltshire, and a customer of mine bought it um, straight from the auction, and. Um, He's now given it to me to sell. So. How lovely. And we've got something else, I suppose. This, uh, Damien uh, Guys and Dolls, New York. So this, is, uh, Damien this is a good example of um, the value of a dust wrapper. And this, of course, again, is what I'd call a, a, a sort of a reasonable, a <coughs> size, normal sized kind of. Yeah, there's a regular, book. just hardback book and dust yeah. jacket. So the original dust jackets were designed, the whole purpose of the dust jacket um, was to protect the book. Then they started adding illustrations to it to help make the book jump out of the bookshelves yes. and ultimately to price the book. Of course. Ah, yes. Now, if you went into Hatchard back in the 1920s and you went and bought a book, Hatchard would do you the kind favour, once you bought the book, of removing the jacket and throwing it away. <laughs> and you actually had to request to keep it. Wow. That's so true. we end up with a situation where the just jacket is incredibly rare. Yes, of course. So when you got yeah. that, here's a good example. This is priced £12,500, 1931 American. Without the dust jacket, yeah, it's worth about three hundred pounds, four hundred pounds. Good Lord, really? So, that's so the value is all in this piece of paper. Yeah, yeah, wow. Because we're going back to that's what it looked like when it was born, and that's the whole point. The whole thing, yeah. How fantastic! And even though it's got a little bit of chipping, it's incredibly rare in the jacket. It's really rare. Do you know where that came from? Uh, I've got it from a collector in New Jersey, actually. Uh, right. We only bought it quite recently. Yes. Um, it's a very iconic bit of artwork as well. It is, isn't it? And there's a couple of people sitting in a drink. It looks very, um, looks very kind of 1930s. Well, it's guys and dolls. I mean, it's of course uh, it is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, and, and I don't think we've actually had one before. It, it's yeah. a real rarity. There'll be a few theatre producers interested in that, I'm sure. You might get a call after this from someone. And then you've got Women in Love, D.H. Lawrence as well. That's that's uh, quite a few D.H. Lawrences, actually. Yeah, um, so this one... So this is a larger to, book. A larger it's, a, it's in a clamshell box. These, these boxes are made um, to protect the book. Yes. And the, the boxes, the collector's boxes, so they keep protected from sunlight and accidental damage. I mean, for transporting books around, they're quite good to looking after the book. So, um, and this copy is actually Women in Love was first published in America. Oh. Um, so the American edition precedes the English. It was done in a limited edition. So, one twelve and two hundred fifty copies. Well, it wasn't ordinarily signed. Right. But he did sign some. Right. Okay. And so this he knew what he was doing. <laughs> so this is actually one of the rare autograph versions. Wow. And that's yeah. how much would that be worth? Uh, that is priced eight thousand seven hundred fifty pounds. Yes. You wouldn't yeah. have your coffee on it, would you? No. They're beautiful, though. So oh, fantastic. That's, uh, and again, yeah. the box the box looks uh, looks quite exquisite as well, doesn't it? Yeah, no, the box is great. Um, so, I mean, these are sort of the 20th century books, and we sort of had the higher-end children's books. Um, what was I going to show you? Oh, actually, here's, well, here's modern classic. It's the Harry Potter. Oh, yes, okay. So this is a true first edition of the first J.K. Rowling book, which is the Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. Um, it's published in 1997, and... Actually, what happened is they, they printed about three and a half thousand sheets, we've, we've learned, and Bloomsbury have sort of put out there. To get the book taken seriously, they had to do a hardback version. So they did 500 sheets bound in a hardback and 3,000 paperback. Ah. So the hardback was issued, the reviews were done, and it was very well reviewed. Libraries and schools all got sent the hardbacks. So 300 odd copies went off to libraries and schools, which meant they got library stamped and read to death, yes, cool. which I reckon puts about 200 in potentially collectible condition. Mm. And you know, children's books are not particularly expensive to produce books. They're pretty poorly produced. They're not designed to be handled particularly. So to get a copy in perfect condition is a general rarity. Mm. Um, and so hence you get a price of £37,000. Wow, £37,000 for one of those. And it was that, so effectively it was the... the, the um, the publisher looking at the marketing side of it, yeah, and that's purely which why, is why they did the hardback. It's purely why it was done. It's uh, interesting that talking about Harry Potter with the phenomenal success that uh, that J.K. Rowling has had uh, with the book, and and here is this this beautiful. I'm going to touch it. Thirty-seven thousand pounds worth of book. It's in condition. It. It's so it's all about the condition. condition. Yeah. If this was in poor condition, it's worth a few thousand pounds. Mm. Condition is everything. Condition is a really important factor, particularly with a modern book. Mm. You know, you want it in perfect condition. You, you know, if you've got a six, you got a sort of a book from the 17th century. Well, you might accept a bit of handling. It's fair enough. You know, it's 400 years old or whatever it may be. So, but a modern book it needs to be in fine condition. To be and hence, and, and it, it was was it pr produced in the box? As no, well? no. So this is a box someone had made. It's yeah. a, again, it's a clamshell box. It just keeps it protected from sunlight, so no fading, um, accidental moisture. You know, yes. I mean, the biggest damage to books, the biggest danger to books, in our experience, is water. Oh really? Is it? People always assume fire, but actually water's actually the biggest sort of um, damage to books. You see much more water stained books than you ever see. Um, I mean, nowadays air conditioned units will burst pipe, and water does tremendous damage, and it's actually very hard to recover it from water. Mm. So the boxes really do give some protection to, I was, to that. I, I was going to say, I was going to ask as well, if you've got a normal book at home, what do what? I mean, I was a I was a Saturday lad at W. H. Smiths, oh. uh, and I remember the, the the kind of way that they used to look after their books. There, I mean, these are only kind of paperbacks. Was to just just take them out and shuffle them and put them back in again. Yeah, you can do that. I mean, uh, if you've got an old book, how should you look after it? 
actually it's very comfortable on the shelf I mean that's what they're designed for um, away from direct sunlight away from direct sunlight away from direct heat um, so you know I've seen some crazy places but I, w I wouldn't put a book above a radiator um, or near air conditioning unit directly anyway um, so and that's it it should be fine I mean modern housing is fundamentally dry it's fairly evenly temperature controlled um, you don't want it too hot um, I mean ideal temperature for a book is probably a bit like wine probably about 14 degrees and just sit there in the, in the dark and that be the end of it but that's not necessarily practical but just room temperature like we have on the shelves here really I mean we actually have UV filters on our windows okay yeah you can't, it's cut it doesn't out. show but it, no, it doesn't show there's just a film there's just a film that goes over the top but actually the UV filters are great they, they cut out about 98% of UV mm. so we don't have any problems um, so sunlight can really tarnish I fact, I'll probably show you an example where somewhere no, it's not there. But I do, I do. Um, we had some examples of a, a binding that we um, we put some books in the shard. Um, we did sh we did the books for the show home in the shard, like on the sixty fourth floor. Yeah. And the the challenge of the shard was the sunlight because it's three hundred sixty degrees sunlight the whole time. And um, and then one of the problems we had was one of the books fading because it's just glass everywhere. Um, so they need UV filters on the windows, which they didn't have. <laughs> on the shard, getting sorted shard. Brilliant. So and let's talk a bit about then. The, so we're here in uh, in uh, in Chelsea, mm -hmm. lovely Chelsea. Uh, I'm with uh, Pom Harrington, who's the owner of Peter Harrington Bookshop on the Fulham Road. You'll 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 love it if you if you come past. Two two beautiful frontages. So let's just talk a little bit about the about the. Yes, I don't want to. I'm just going to tread on something on it. I want to tread on a book. <laughs> and uh, I say. Peter, the people are going to be very envious of me being here today because it's beautiful. Anyway, um, talk a bit about the. We've spoken a bit about the kind of the new, new publishing and, and vanity publishing as it used to be called, mm. and now we've got people who can who can publish online through Amazon and, and Kindle. And you were saying earlier that might not actually be too bad a thing for you as a as a book uh, trader, as it were. You know. Well, I, I mean, I, I, do, I do think that suddenly the. the there's this talk about the book being a threatened species. Mm. There was a lecture, in fact, I know at Bloomsbury Arts Week at, uh, at Birkbeck Arts Week, and that was one of the that was one of the, the questions: was is the book dead? I, I mean, I don't believe it's dead, and I, I think as objects, they'll, they'll survive. The point is, it gets rarefied, and the moment something gets rarefied or comes in danger, there's always going to be a group of people that want to preserve it. I, and I, I just think it's, it's I think the book becomes more celebrated, mm. and it'd be interesting to see. But I mean, British Library do excellent exhibitions and at the moment they've got the Alice in Wonderland exhibition they're going to do they're going to have hordes of people coming through I mean there's plenty of interest in this material next year Shakespeare's uh, 400th year since his death and the interest in Shakespeare will be immense and in the books and actually we notice it this year Alice in Wonderland because it's the it's the hundred and what are we talking about it's 150 years since Alice in Wonderland was published for the first time which Christmas 65 um we sold more Alice in Wonderland collectibles this year than I probably have done in the last 10 years combined. Uh, and the interest, the interest it creates. And there's no question there is a, there's a strong desire for people to have these original editions. You know, where did it all start from? You've seen the movie, you might have read the paperback or a kid's version of it. But the originals are the originals. And that's, you know, and it's like collecting original painting or... Hmm. or about collect coins, stamps, whatever it may be. But it, it's, it's a collectible. And goes back to repeating myself but it's having that object in the, in the first form yes. what, what started it all 
And I suppose there is there is a kind of a... Uh, some people occasionally get a bit sniffy about the idea of books as an investment as opposed to, you know, kind of fine wines or... Uh, well, actually, that's probably not a very good analogy, is it? But Because fine wines are... <laughs> books perhaps have got more emotion attached to them. But well, what would you say to the critics? Um, well, books, I mean... Books as an investment, they have actually been a very good investment for lots of people over the years. Uh, I think like any investment, um, you can buy the wrong thing and it won't necessarily work out for you. And books can be subject to fashion, for good and bad. For example, if you bought an economics, economics book collection sort of 10, 12, 13 years ago, particularly 20th century economics books, you would have had it away because the, the interest in economics in the last well, decade, certainly since the 2008 crash, has been immense. And the prices of something like um, John Maynard Keynes' general theory of employment um, that price has pretty much tripled in the, sp- the last sort of seven or eight years so fantastic um, if you were collecting David Roberts prints or David Robert books from Egypt well frankly the market hasn't changed in ten years because and why is that? Well tourists can't go to Egypt anymore to look at the pyramids so people coming back from the pyramids have been inspired by these amazing books that's not happening so if you bought it 10 years ago, you're not going to have any return today. So, and, and, and it's like anything in life, you've got the good, and the, good, the good and the bad. But, you know, if you buy the right things, the, the things that really have jumped in price, we've seen in the last 10, 15 years, is the true rarity. When you've got that special copy, whether it's, you know, the copy inscribed by the author um, um, or the perfect copy like this Harry Potter, what we've seen is those have exponentially grown in price. Um, and so we always say to people buy the best you can afford and that is most likely to do well for you if you've got something that's ordinary and slightly beaten up and there's 20 copies out there then it's much 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 less likely to go up at an appreciable rate um, but I mean do we know what's going to happen? No I mean I've got my own personal opinions what I like I like Roald Dahl I think, and Roald Dahl has been great the last 20 years I mean that really has rocketed um, in price Ian Fleming every time a new movie comes out the price seems to jump up 20-30% Okay. Is, is it going to keep going on? The next movie could be complete turkey, and, and then no one cares. Well, it hasn't happened yet. Every movie comes out, and it just the stock in James Bond keeps on rising. And actually, we had a really good example of that because we we did um uh, we did um, some statistics for a newspaper about this, and we actually we traced one the same copy, and we traced it from twelve years ago. What was the book? Casino Royale. Yeah. So that's the James Bond's first book. And we had a mint copy. I mean, it's, I say the word mint, it was pretty much the perfect copy, the best copy I've ever had. And it's a good illustration about the price increases. And we originally bought and sold it for about £20,000 about 11 years ago. We got it back a few years later, we sold it, and we sold it for like £26,000, £27,000, can't remember the numbers exactly. It came back again into the market to someone else. We got it back and bought it for somebody else. And it traded for. 30,000 and 40,000 and the final price it went away at which was about two years ago was 60,000 pounds <laughs> and it's the same copy going through wow that's remarkable isn't it yeah and there's a buyer each time for it now listen that is a perfect copy it's unimpeachable it's the perfect collector's copy um, exactly what you want so yes that, that book has been a good investment doesn't mean every book is going to do that by any stretch of imagination but I think it was a good illustration of quality and yeah. the quality seems to be, if, if it's really that desirable, someone will always reach a bit more for it. And if someone was thinking of starting a book collection, what, what would you say to them? Is there a good place to start? Or is it, well, as you say, just about what rattles your boat, really? Absolutely. I mean, you, you, want to buy what, you want to buy what you're interested in. Because if you try and guess what everyone else is interested in, 
you're going to end up in tricky water as you're trying to buy an investment anyway. I mean, if you bought something because you love it, and there's a reason why you'd love it, then I don't know, and it could be Pride and Prejudice, and it could be because it's an original binding, and it's just perfect, and gosh, it's so much money, but I love it. The chances are someone else is going to feel exactly the same way when you come to sell it. Yeah, that's good advice. And have you got, is the one, what's, what would your most expensive book be here? Uh, in the Could shop. Yeah, offhand, and I'm dropping this on you. Uh, I've got, I've got kicking around. I might take a photograph of that Harry Potter as well later, if that's all right. <laughs> I'll put it on our website. <laughs> um, for people to ooh, lad. The most expensive things actually aren't necessarily here, but this is rather good. Okay, so this is again. It's in. A, it's in a. What would you call this? It's not a clamshell. So actually, well, this is called a slip case. Slip case. Yes, yeah, so the book literally slips in the case. And it's a bright red. Um, yeah, color. it's quite quite bright. Yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't my design. Um, <laughs> oh wow! And inside another cover, right, right. This is more traditional. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Yep, Mark Twain. Now, um, there's various complications of the printing of Huckleberry Finn. Um, originally, it was published in the UK. And then uh, published in America. The American edition came out second. This is the American edition, which is the preferred edition. Um, they did three different bindings. Right. There's a cloth binding, there's a half leather binding, and there's a full leather binding. This is, is the, the half. Yeah. And actually, this is the half leather is the true first printing of the book. And you open it up, wow. and it's inscribed to Major Pond with the affections of Mark Twain, February 85, which is the year of publication. And in here, Pond has written, and actually, what's transcribed? I just got it in. The, um, this the first copy that the author saw and let his eyes on. Yes, the first copy the author ever set his eyes on. Wow. Yeah, but it's the first copy that Mark Twain saw, and he's inscribed it to him. Perfect. And actually, one of his most famous books. Yeah, and there we are. There's the port Buster Mark Twain, Adventures of the Huckleberry Finn, 1885. And that's a very cool thing. That's one hundred fifty thousand pounds. One hundred fifty thousand. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you must. Do you, I know you've been doing it. You should have grew into it, but it must be exciting. You, you must get excited. Well, that does. I mean, that, that completely rocks my boat. I mean, that's yeah, that's just yeah. a tremendous item. I mean, yeah, yes. I can't tell you. I mean, this is another item which we got. Well, and this is a much larger. Actually, this is ridiculous. This is the box from the box from the box. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so here we go. So that's a slip case, and then you've got the chemise, right. and then in there is an original box. This right. is the original box the book was actually issued in. Wow. And here we have... And this is a large white book. Okay, so it's called The Full Gospels. Right. And it's, this, is a, this is the most beautiful example of private printing. Private printing is literally what it means. It's just printed in very small numbers um, by little publishing houses. And The Full Gospels was published by Dove's Press. Sorry, the Golden Cop Press. Right. Um, and this is probably their most famous book they did. And one of the reasons why they got Eric Gill to do the illustrations. Right. And Eric Gill has a huge following, but the design and everything else. And they, they, they published it on paper. However, in limited edition, here we go. So there was 500 copies of print printed, of which one to 12 were on vellum. Oh, I see. And this, this is, is number, number nine. nine. So it's one of 12 copies printed on vellum. And if you feel it, feel that. Yeah. It's not paper, that is real vellum. Wow, that's beautiful, okay. isn't it? And it is, it gives a real beautiful texture. Yeah. And books printed on vellum are very special and very rare and really collected. Yes. So it's one of 12 on vellum and it's inscribed Leonard Wolfe, who was the husband of Virginia Wolfe. Oh, Virginia Wolfe, yes, of course. And that's Eric Gill's signature. So it's presented by Eric Gill to Leonard Wolfe. Wow, how fantastic. And what's the value of that, roughly? It's £125,000. <laughs> and it's currently and one of my favourite books. I mean, this is it's beautiful, it's a book, it? but it's also a book I've known about. 
our desire to own yeah. as a dealer. I mean, the fun thing for a dealer is acquiring. Yeah. We, we love finding it, acquiring it, owning it for about a day. And yeah. then we love to sell it. <laughs> yeah. But we get to own it for a day. Yes, and I love yes. to keep all of it, but I can't afford to. I have to yes. have to sort of trade and pay the bills. And then by the next exactly. one. <laughs> Put food in your children's yes, mouth. Exactly. Oh, what a beautiful And a beautiful it is a beautiful version. object. And the bindings are done by Zinzorski and Cyclith. Um, they, they bound all of them. That's a pigskin, actually. And they would have made this case. So this is actually a publisher's case. This is the reason why they've made a case within a case within a case. Within, yeah, dedicated to Le uh, Leonard Wolfe as well. And what a brilliant note on which to end. Pod, thank you so much for your uh, for your uh, time pleasure. and well, thank trouble you. And here at the at the uh, at the bookshop on uh, in Chelsea. Uh, we'll uh, put your what's have you got, what, your email address. Oh, sorry, your, your website. website. So well, basically Peter Harrington, PeterHarrington.co.uk. Um, if you Google Peter Harrington, you will find us. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. No, and your coffee. It's lovely. Pleasure. Cheers. Thank you very much. I'm Nick Hennigan. This is Residence 104.4 FM.